Welcome to River's Edge Church Podcast. Each week we strive to bring you biblically accurate, exegetical preaching of God's Word so that you might belong, believe, and become like Christ. We hope that you will find this week's message beneficial in your walk with Christ. I'm excited about this new series that we have coming up. Um, If you guys want, um, I would encourage you, if you have your Bible with you, you can go ahead and open up to Exodus because that's where we're going to be at today. And we're going to be here for a while, just a heads up. Um, I planned a good amount, almost two months of time just to do Exodus, and with the understanding that we won't make it through a whole book of Exodus, I'm just, just so you know. Um, I don't know if you were anticipating that, but we're probably not going to. But we will start there today, and that's where we're going to be launching off. And this is a new sermon series. Uh, I get really excited about these kind of things, because, partially because I'm a dork. And I get it, and uh, I'm, I'm, I am a Bible door. I like it. I just I get excited because there are things that I read about and find and see the connections of how God, from the very beginning, was working in into the lives of the Israelites so that he could get to me. You know what I mean? Like, that's exciting to me. He's doing it so that he could get to each and every one of us. Like, he uses this path. And it, to me, it's just really cool to kind of get in there and start digging about in his word and start realizing like, man, like I heard this story so many times and I found out something new every time I've read it. And so I get really excited about it just to help bring some of that to light for you guys, but also the opportunity to learn something new myself. So this is what we're going to do before we get started. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God to be with us today. So let's just bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, we thank you that we could be here today. God, remind us that the, the most important thing that we are here for is for you. God, there is nothing better than you. And we sang that here a minute ago, God, but I pray that our hearts cry that out to you. That there is nothing better than you. There's nowhere else I would rather be than right here in your presence today. God, I pray that you would fill this room. Fill this room with your Holy Spirit, God. As we go and and explore your word, God, I pray that it would resonate within our hearts, that we would grab hold of the truths that you have written down and, and brought to us. God, and let us realize the greatness and the wonders that is you. We pray that we would honor and glorify you in all that we do today that you would mold us into the the men and women that you have desired us to be, the creation that you have created for. We've asked all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at Exodus today, most there's, I would say there's probably a good amount of people who are familiar, and there's probably a good amount of people who aren't familiar. And so I always like to try to catch people up if they aren't as familiar with the Bible. Um, so Exodus is the second book of the Bible, and it's actually the second book of what's called the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Commonly considered to be written by Moses, Exodus tells the story of the people of Israel's escape from Egypt. That's the essential of the story of it. But it, it really focuses on something more. It focuses on redemption. Now, why would we spend so much time talking about Exodus? Why wouldn't we just talk about, you know, hot topics of the day? You know, there's a submarine somewhere that got imploded. You know, like we could talk about lots of things. Why Exodus? Now, I thought it was really important to actually share some points ahead of time. 
uh, which I know is unusual. Most, pe- no, most preachers wait and give your three points at the end. So I'm going to give you several at the beginning so you understand why are we even doing this? Like, why is this worthwhile? And so here's some of the things I think you should look for as, you, as we study this book together, as you study it, hopefully, at home. Uh, the first is that Exodus shows us a need for redemption. And this one's really straightforward because what we see very early on in the book is God's people are enslaved. They're in captivity. And their condition does not go unnoticed by God. I think this is really important. It does not go unnoticed. And unlike the lie that most of us may have heard, possibly even believed at one point, is God is not some disinterested child floating off in the abyss who's just created us and let it happen. God is intimately interested in what's going on here. He's intimately interested in you, in me, in our lives, in the things that are happening all around us. And what we see is not only is God interested, but we also see this. We see how mighty the Redeemer is. That's the second thing that we see. God is not only going to move to redeem his people in Israel, but he is going to move spectacularly. He's going to bring about what's known as the the ten plagues. We'll get to them when we get to them. He's going to split a sea. He's going to bring water from rock. He's going to rain down manna. And when that's not good enough, he'll rain down quail. I mean, it is spectacular. And what we see is we see a powerful God. God is not some limp-wristed, imperfect, un, you know, uncaring being. But what we see in Exodus is a mighty God worthy of praise, worthy of worship, and worthy of adoration. Third thing we see is the character of redemption. And this is, a redemption, this is the reality that redemption has a cost. Redemption has a cost. It costs something. And it, and it costs the spilling of, an innocent, of the blood of an innocent lamb. And it, and it costs a powerful God. And what's interesting is, you know, a lot of what we see in Exodus is foretelling what's going to happen in the future with Christ. And so we see that the same cost for Israelites is the same thing. We see that an innocent's blood was shed so that we could have redemption, so that we could be brought out of captivity, so that we could find freedom, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. That blood was spilled so that you and I might be redeemed. Fourth thing is that there's a duty to the redeemed. If you read closely, Moses is going to ask Pharaoh over and over, let my people go, not because my people want to go and be more comfortable, not because, well, my people got somewhere to go. No, my people need to go to the wilderness and worship our God. That's why we want to leave. We want to go worship our God. And what's interesting is there are so many people, we spent a whole month almost talking about this. There is a large group of people who claim to be Christian, but they only want a Savior. They don't want a king. They only want salvation. They don't don't want submission. They want someone to forgive them of their sins, but they want to keep living how they want to live. And that's not what God has called us to. Those who have been redeemed have a duty to go and worship. And where there is not worship, there must be missions. And we'll talk about how that ties in later. 
Lastly, that we see that there are provisions made for the failures of the redeemed. The ending of Exodus talks about things like the tabernacles and the sacrifices and the cleansing ceremonies. Because in all of that, <clears throat> we see that God has called his people to be in habitation with him. But God can't be around sin. The sin of God's people will prevent him from being with him. So God provides a way. And it's temporary in Exodus. It's eternal now. And so we see a reflection of what has to happen. We see a reflection that helps us better understand what Christ had to do for us. What that cost is and what it looks like to follow and be obedient and submit to who Christ is. So, now that you have all of your starter points neatly written out in your folders, I'm sure, um, we're going to actually get into the passage for the day. So, we're going to be in Exodus 1. I'm going to have my brother Mark come down. He's going to read from 1 to 7. And if, you know, as in all Bible, you know, Old Testament books, there's a lot of names. So, just be ready and be forgiving and kind to those who have to read these difficult names. <laughs> I wanted to preface it because there's a couple in there. So, absolutely. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Each came with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin. Dan and Naphtali. Gad and Asher. The total number of Jacob's descendants was 70. Joseph was already in Egypt. Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation eventually died. But the Israelites were fruitful, increased rapidly, multiplied, and became extremely numerous so that the land was filled with them. Word of God. Thank you, brother. So like all good books, where do we start? We start in the beginning, right? But with Exodus, we have to understand that Exodus is not just dropped out of nowhere, like out of somebody's imagination. Exodus is greatly tied to the end of Genesis. And so really Exodus starts with Joseph, who was the son of Jacob, who was renamed Israel. Everybody with me? <laughs> I know that can get confusing. Jacob had 11 sons, but there was, there was one which was his favorite, which parents we know you should never admit to. And his favorite son's name was Joseph. And he loved Joseph, and he gave Joseph some really just slick drip, which is not a word I should be using as a grown man. <laughs> but man, everybody thought it was funny. Um, he gave him this awesome coat. It's really neat. And let's go ahead and be honest, all right? The moment... <laughs> This obviously bothered his brothers. So they did what we would expect brothers to do, right? Like they didn't like, no, they tried to kill him. They're like, well, we're going to murder him because this is wrong. Not cool. But in a moment of clarity, one of the brothers says, whoa, hey, maybe we shouldn't kill him. Right? All right, now we're back on track. Let's sell him into slavery. All right, we missed it, right? We missed an opportunity. So Joseph is sold into slavery, and for the next 13 years, Joseph lives in Egypt. And he is a servant, he's a slave, then he becomes a prisoner. And it's looking really bad for Joseph. Like, things aren't looking great. But he continues to be faithful, continues to praise God, and God continues to provide. One day, Joseph's actually brought before Pharaoh, because Pharaoh had a dream he couldn't understand. And he heard Joseph was a wise man, who might be able to interpret it. So he tells Joseph his dream, and Joseph, 
because God gave him wisdom and helped him understand, tells him what his dream meant and foretold of a horrible famine that was to come. Pharaoh was super impressed, so he goes, man, Joseph, you're my number two guy. So he went from prison to king in the blink of an eye. Eventually, the famine does come. But because Joseph was in charge, and because God gave Joseph wisdom and understanding, they had plenty of food stored away. And so for people from all over the place outside of Egypt were coming into Egypt and asking for food. And Egypt had so much, they're like, hey, man, we'll help you out. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll trade, we'll do whatever. We'll, we'll keep you, um, you know, alive. This included Joseph's family. Joseph's brothers were forced to travel into Egypt begging for food from the, from the king. And they didn't recognize him because, you know, it had been quite a while. And last time they'd seen him, he was a slave. And you would think that Joseph would have taken this opportunity to gloat, maybe to punish him, you know? Like, let's be honest with you, like, 13 years is a long time to suffer. And he didn't really do anything wrong. But instead, Joseph shows an extraordinary amount of grace, an extraordinary amount of forgiveness. And even tells him that what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And that's such a powerful statement. And what we see for just a glimpse in time is how God uses all things to work out for his will, good or bad. We see an outstanding example of faithfulness in the midst of the worst of situations. And we see also how important and how good things can be in a society that does adhere to God's will, who does listen, who does obey. So it was this wonderful unfolding of events. And then we get to Exodus, where it quickly unfolds so fast. And so what we see at the beginning of Exodus, there are several things that we can look at. Uh, you know, one being that there, there's an extended period of time that's happening. You know, Joseph's family um, moves and begins residing there. And this first period of time is actually what feels like a period of blessing. One, we see that all the 11 children in Joseph move, or when Jacob move and live with Joseph in some granted land. Um, this land is actually considered east of the Nile, and it's actually supposed to be very abundant. And so they were granted this wonderful place to live, to be abundant. And, and that's exactly what they do, because Joseph himself, or uh, Jacob himself, quickly has 70 descendants, they say, that is with him. <clears throat> and he's, they quickly are becoming a fulfillment of what God had promised Abraham. See, God had told Abraham that through his, his lineage, he would bless him and he would bless the world and that he would have more descendants than there were sands on the beach or stars in the sky. Now, mind you, Abraham got to see two sons born. And only one of those was born in the way that God desired it to be born. But God blessed both of them. But by now we see that Joseph, who's the great-grandson of Abraham, has now got 70 descendants of his own. So we quickly see, oh man, this is happening quick. And as we read into our passage, we see that multiplication is beginning to really happen. That that command all the way back in the garden of being fruitful and multiplying was happening as God had desired. 
Second, we also see that there's a, an extended period of time. It does say in Exodus, specifically, that Joseph and his brother dies. But we actually can go to other passages, like Acts 7, 6, where it tells us that 400 years would pass between Joseph's entrance into Egypt and the Exodus events. So it's really interesting that that's a long period of time. And why would God allow for his people to suffer so long? There's several reasons for this. And I was a little, I'm not going to lie to you, I was skeptical because sometimes, you know how you've heard something your whole life? Like, like you've heard what you thought was a biblical truth like your whole life and then you go to find out like it's not true. Like one of my favorites was like godliness is like next to cleanliness. I was like 100% sure that was in Proverbs. I was like, that's a proverb. It's got to be, it's not. It, some mama said that to her kid because he kept getting dirty. Like, you know, and it was a boy. Like, there's no doubt about it. It was 100% a boy. He was filthy. And she's like, godly, you need to take a bath, all right? Because if you ain't clean, you ain't, you ain't being godly. <laughs> and I know that because I look at my children, and they're just, they're disgusting. <laughs> they just, they get so dirty. But I was really shocked to find some of the biblical truths were actually that. They, they weren't just things that someone had said randomly. I could back them up. I could tell you where they are. We're going to go and look at one today. I think it's just, it was cool. I was like, awesome. This is neat. But first, let's not forget one thing that is important, and that is how Joseph got to Egypt, right? Remember, he was sold into slavery. His brothers had intent to kill him, to murder him on the spot. And they essentially did send him into slavery with the expectation that he would most likely die. And I think it's a good reminder for us, as probably as well as for the Egyptian people, that God's eternal forgiveness does not absolve us from natural consequences. You know? Um, think about a murderer who finds Jesus on death row. This is certainly something worth praising. But it won't absolve him from his crime. The alcoholic who, who finds Jesus in AA should be celebrated, but... That doesn't repair the broken relationships or a broken body, right? Same thing with an adulterer who, who, who might come to Jesus years later. That's not going to immediately fix what they've already damaged. And so just because we have eternal forgiveness does not immediately give us or absolve us from natural consequences of this world. We are still broken people living in a broken world. And God's forgiveness is guaranteed, but temporal actions always have consequences. Secondly, God's forgiveness is so great that he delays his judgment. Now, this was the part that shocked me, because, I mean, I get it. In the New Testament, Jesus talks about that. He's like, you know, Paul actually talks about it, excuse me, where he says, you know, the reason that I have not come yet is because I desire to see one more. Just one more soul come into the kingdom of heaven. Just one more lost lamb found. That's why you should rejoice that I'm not here yet, even though you desire to be with me. Part of the waiting in Egypt was not just for the Israelites. It wasn't like punishment for them, per se. It wasn't solely that. But it was actually in part for the Canaanites, also known as the Amorites. See, part of that promise that God made back with Abraham about being multitudes and having lots of kids was also a promise of a land for them to reside. This land was known as Canaan. 
And in Canaan, there are lots of people. It wasn't like Canaan was an empty wilderness. It was a beautiful, abundant place. And, you know, people are going to move where it's beautiful and abundant. Ask everybody here who's moved here in the last three years. But those people that lived there were extraordinarily evil, especially those considered the Amorites. And in this land of extraordinary evil where there was war, people lived with the, the, the lust in their heart, there was death everywhere, was a very unusual and extraordinary practice of worshiping a god named Molech. Now, if you look up Molech when you go home, um, be careful because some of the images can be a little bit over top and grotesque. But Molech was essentially, um, he was a, a god of the underworld, okay? So he was like death or Hades. Um, and he was, uh, he had a head of a bull on, on the body of a man. And he required human sacrifice, but specifically infant human sacrifice. And the way that they would do this is they would get a large bronze statue of him. And sometimes it varied in shape, but the descriptions often were that he would have a hand made of bronze. And behind that, there would be a furnace, and they would heat this furnace up, scalding hot. And they would take those children, and they would lay them on the hands. And it's this absolute horrific thing to do. Part of the waiting, we see God actually expresses this and he actually foretells of this, even in Abraham. I'm going to show you where. Because I was shocked. I was like, oh, this is in the Bible. Neat. It says, then the Lord said to Abraham, know this for certain. Your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them and will be enslaved and oppressed. Huh. How about that? However, I will judge the nation they serve. And afterwards, they will go out with many possessions. But you will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good and old age. In the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. What we see is God's desire for justice delays his judgment. God could have easily smited the Amorites immediately. I mean, he really could have. Like, if if he wanted to, he could have done exactly what he did with Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Sodom and Gomorrah were awful. So he, he went and smited them. He, he brought down hell, you know, hell and brimstone, and, and those cities existed no more. So why didn't he do it here? Well, the Bible tells us that God's, in God's grace, in God's goodness, in his mercy, he delays his judgment. But there is only so much delaying before their iniquities would be full where he could stand the sin no more. This isn't the only place this was mentioned. It's actually referenced in the, old, in the New Testament as well, but I thought it very profound. He even foretold this to Abraham. Said, hey, this is going to happen. Like, you won't even know. Like, this is so far away from you. You won't even be around. But just a heads up, this is going to happen. And he foretells it, and he gives the, one of the reasons why. And this is what I want to encourage us to think about as we get ready to go through this book over the next couple weeks. And why I spent so much time today talking about this. Because I wanted to encourage you to think about a couple of things. One, it is frequent that we think about and we see all the injustice around us. And, and I think we live in such, the, in our way, we live in a very unique society where we have access 24-7 
to all of the things that are happening. And in a world that's broken, all the things that are happening are often in just so much injustice, so much hurt, so much pain, so much wrong. And we know it. We feel it deep in our soul. And that's why, like, if you watch, they even tell you you watch too much news, you get depressed because we know it. It's just blatant. And it can feel at times as if God doesn't care. And we ask, God, why aren't you doing something? Why doesn't God intervene? I want to encourage you to think that if you can take this home and hold it close to you as you read through Exodus. There's two things that you can take home. One, God is doing something. He's always doing something. He's not not doing something. God is not disinterested. He's not disconnected. He's not distracted. God is engaged here, and he wants nothing more for all of this end and justice to be served. He hears the cries of this world. He hears our cries. He hears the cries of those orphans that we might see on TV. He hears the cries of the hungry, the brokenhearted, the saddened. And he hears you, and he hears your sorrow and your hurt and your pain. And he loves you so much. And he is working around you. Constantly. He's just not doing it your way. He's not doing it to your liking. But because he loves you, he's doing it in a way that you actually need that will cause profound change in your life. One of the things I think we wrestle with Sometimes, I don't know if we, maybe we get distracted by it. I know that's what my issue is, is I just, I forget. Is <laughs> how much I actually need to change. I keep thinking every once in a while, maybe I got this going on. Maybe I'm not, maybe I'm getting close. I'm not, I'm not even close. I'm not even close to being close. And God is trying to do everything that he can to change me. To, to mold me into what he needs me, what he made me to be. And he's doing the same thing for each one of us, which means sometimes we're going to be stuck in a wilderness. Sometimes we're going to be stuck in some slavery. Sometimes we're going to be stuck in some prison. And it's going to be oppressive, and it's going to be difficult, and it's going to be tiresome, and we're going to ask, why aren't you doing something? And he's going to remind us, I'm doing something. It's just not how you want it to be done. The second thing is the reason that God delays so that one more soul might come. It's easy for us to sit and point judgment at people, isn't it? It's easy for us to see an injustice and go, well, God, that's clearly wrong. Why aren't you doing something about it? I can think of something you could do. But just like the Amorites, God desires to see all people come to him. God desires to see the homosexuals in a relationship come to him, to know him, to change. God desires to see uh, people who are cheating on their spouse to come to see him, to come to know him, to come and change. He desires to see those who are struggling with addiction, those who are struggling with pornography, those who are struggling with their faith to come and know him and to follow him. That's what he desires. That is what he wants. That's what he desires in this world, and that's why he delays. God delayed so that you and I might know him. One of my favorite preachers once said this. He said, if, if God was truly just and came today, 
then the punishment I would deserve outside of Christ was that he would smite me for just the thoughts that I had yesterday. That's how far away we are from him. Just our thoughts alone deserve eternal damnation. But God delayed. He put off so that we might experience who Christ is. And he's putting off today what's to come so that one more person might know Jesus. I tell you this frequently because it is the absolute most important truth you will ever hear. I am not the keeper of the gospel. Don't bring people here hoping they'll hear me preach a really good sermon and they'll be saved. Hallelujah, throw their hands up. That might happen, but you know who does a better job? You do. You are far better at sharing the gospel with somebody. By the way you love them, by the way you talk about God, by the way you live out your life in their presence, and hopefully by the way you talk to them about God. They're going to trust you. They'll know you. I'm just a dude on a stage who wears fun shirts. So I want to finish this service this way. What we deserve isn't what we get. Hallelujah. Thank God. Thank God that the consequences of our own injustice, we don't suffer. Thank God we're no longer enemies of God. Thank God that we are no longer captive to our sin. Thank God that we are no longer slaves to our own flesh. Thank God. Hallelujah. Thank God. I'm so thankful. I'm so full with gratefulness that God loved me so much he would send his son. That's what I'm so thankful for. That's why I get excited about reading Exodus because I'm really reading about also mine and hopefully also, also yours. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church Podcast. We want to encourage you to like and follow so that we might reach others with God's good news. You can hear more messages like this at www.theriversedge.church. Have a blessed week.